You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Jewish Matters podcast, and tonight we're going to be talking about finding the joy and spirituality in the holiday of Sukkot. So the story is uh, one of my rabbis, his father was a rabbi in London, and during the Second World War there were buzz bombs. There were these um, bombs launched by the Germans that would go across the channel and land in London, in England. And I know stories about them because my mother was in London at the time as a young adult and would hide in the tube stations in the subways uh, because the bombs would fall randomly all over the city. And so it was Sukkot time and they were in their sukkah. He was the rabbi of the congregation. It was the end of Shabbat. They were on the sukkah for the third meal and they heard in the distance the droning of the buzz bombs. The uh, sirens went off. And everyone got up and they were about to file out, very orderly, like the English are wont to do, into the bomb shelter. And the rabbi got up and said, everyone, just please listen. You each have to make your own decision. However, it tells us that the sukkah is the tzel de mehem nuta. It is the shade of faithfulness. And it represents God's protection over us and I will choose to stay in the sukkah under God's protection. And some people stayed in the sukkah, some people went into the bomb shelter, and um, the story was, and I heard this directly from the sun, that the buzz bomb landed near the bomb shelter, and people were injured in the bomb shelter, and the people in the sukkah were spared. And um, so, Sukkah represents many different things. It represents God's protection. The Friday night prayer, we say, ask God uh, to spread over us the Sukkah of peace. Um, And we'll talk about that in a little bit, in a little more. So, we know that Sukkot is the hut that we live in for seven days. Uh, We build a hut usually with uh, cloth walls. And the main reason, halacha though, is that the ceiling, the roof of the hut has to be from vegetable growth that is cut off from the ground. And uh, once was rabbi of a congregation out in Long Island, and uh, someone invited me over over the Sukkot, and they were so proud of their sukkah. It was this beautiful pergola that they had placed some greenery over, but that also was completely overgrown with vines. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that really she had to cut her vines to make it a valid sukkah. So we live in the sukkah for six, for seven days. It's a seven-day holiday like Passover. We have the custom to take the four species, four different types of plants on Sukkot. And there's a special mitzvah of joy that we're supposed to celebrate on the sukkot holiday as well. So let's look at each of these and try to understand what they mean and how we're supposed to experience them. So the sukkah itself. So sukkah is very unique because in the Torah, it often does not give us the reasons for the mitzvot, but for the sukkah particularly, it does say that you should dwell in sukkot because God says, I had the Jewish people dwell in sukkot as they left Egypt. Now, what does that mean? 
So the simple understanding, one would think, means they lived in these huts. They were traveling around. They didn't build permanent homes. And it was hot in the desert. So, um, you know, you put up some bamboo for shade and uh, you sit with the walls pretty open and breezy uh, in these kind of climates. You would think that is what it is. And that's one of the reasons, one of the explanations given that in the wanderings in the desert, the Jewish people dwelt in huts. But if you look in the Torah, it says that they primarily lived in what? Bedouin live in tents, not in Sukkot. So the other explanation is that the Sukkah represents the clouds of glory which accompanied the Jewish people throughout the 40 years in the desert, which gave them shade and which also represented God's presence amongst the people. And we'll, we'll come back to that as well. So just practically, the Torah says that you should dwell in them. So really, we're supposed to move into our sukkah. And I know people who move their couch out into the sukkah and furniture. And um, first of all, if we eat bread, we have to eat it in the sukkah. So that means necessarily we're going to be eating our sukkot holiday meals and Shabbat meals in the sukkah this year. Uh, the first day of Sukkot is Shabbat, and in Israel there's only one day. So really, there's only one day of holiday slash Shabbat where we're eating in the Sukkah. Yeah, outside of Israel, often there's three days, two days of the holiday and one day of Shabbat. So we eat our heart on the meals in the Sukkah. By the way, very good in Corona times for social distancing. We're actually going to have the first gets over for Shabbat or holiday we've had in many, many months because we'll be sitting outside and you distance a little, and outside it's uh, much safer. So, we also are told to sleep in the sukkah. Now, in Chutz uh, La'aretz, outside of Israel, uh, many, many people don't. And the reason given is because it is so much colder than in Israel. In Israel, right now, it's still middle of summer. The evenings are starting to cool off a little bit. But outside of Israel, it can get very cold. And I actually always did sleep in the sukkah because I'm someone who's gone uh, backpacking, mountain climbing, and has slept out in the cold on mountains. Why shouldn't I be sleeping out in a sukkah? In the, and usually we would try and leave the city to the countryside. And we'll talk about the theme of nature in Sukkot. Sukkot is really a holiday of going back to nature. But uh, when I was single and would be in the city, I used to sleep in the sukkah. Once I had to actually climb on the table because there were little creatures running around on the floor. Needless to say, I needed to find another sukkah in Manhattan rather than that one. But really, one is supposed to sleep in the sukkah. That's part of the mitzvah as well. And we move out into the sukkah specifically in the fall when it starts to rain. And the rabbis say that's because we want, to sh we want to, it to show that we're not just in the sukkah because, oh, the weather's ni nice, let me go outdoors. We're showing, even at the beginning of the rainy season, when it's starting to get cooler, that's why I'm going out. I'm going out to do the mitzvah. So what is the experience we're supposed to have from this holiday? So there are two different ways to approach it. One, we're going to talk about the agricultural holiday, the agricultural cycle. 
and then we'll talk about the spiritual holiday and the spiritual cycle. So the agricultural cycle, Sukkot is one of the three agricultural holidays. Passover is a holiday of planting. Uh, Shavuot is a holiday of reaping, of cutting the grain. And Sukkot is the the holiday of gathering in the crops. And remember, ancient Israel was an agrarian society. We were all farmers, like the early Zionists on the kibbutzim. We're also farmers. Now uh, they're going to high tech. But we were an agrarian, uh, rural society. And so we see that the reaping, the holiday of gathering, is when you would bring in all of your crop, you would set aside your bounty for the winter, and you would put it in storage to last you through the long, hard winter. And so it's a very important time. Many cultures have uh, agricultural uh, festivities during the time of the bringing in of the crops. And, um, but for us, we see the themes of going outside, being in nature, and particularly also the four species. So there's a mitzvah, it says you should take on the holiday, and it, what do you take? So a beautiful fruit, which the Talmud tells us is the etrog. The etrog is a very interesting fruit because if you try to eat it, most of it is peel. It looks like a lemon, but really the pulp is tiny and the, and the peel is very, white peel is very big. Now we know the white peel is actually healthy for you, but, um, but it's not a very practical fruit. So really we're taking it for the beauty of the fruit. Then we're supposed to have the lulav, the palm frond, but it's a palm branch before it's turned into a frond, before it's opened up and that's long and straight. Um, and we have to exactly check certain criterion. So the etrog can't have any blemishes or marks or chips taken out of it. The lulav, the center uh, leaf, which is doubled over, cannot be split. Then we take the myrtle branches, the hadas, which have to have three branches coming off the same place on the stalk. And finally, uh, the willow. And so we're supposed to just says, take them. Now, the willow represents water, and that theme we'll see coming in again. But what's so interesting is that you see people checking the three leaves, uh, the perfect uh, nature of the yellow uh, etrog, the middle of the lulav, and it really gets us to focus on the details of the beauty of nature and the way God designed the natural world. So it's also the theme of nature coming in. And then when we take them, what do we do? So we wave it in six directions, front, right, back, left, up, down. And particularly during the prayer cycle, we do that. And it, on the most basic level, it's just having God awareness, that God is all around us, that the divine presence surrounds us at all times. And here we get to the second spiritual theme of the holiday. And we're going to see this theme of the divine presence coming in in many different ways. So first of all, we have the waving of the four species. Then we mentioned before that the second reason of why we sit in Sukkot is to remember the clouds of glory. So in the desert, uh, 
the Jewish people were accompanied by clouds, gave them shade, and if you know the Middle Eastern sun, having shade is a big relief. And, but it also represents when Moshe spoke to God, the, the cloud would descend upon the uh, tabernacle, the portable synagogue that accompanied them in the desert, that they erected in the desert. So the clouds represent being connected to the Almighty. And this is one of the important themes of Sukkot, which is sometimes not appreciated enough. We said before that Sukkot is part of the agricultural cycle of Passover, which is not just planting, but in a sense, the planting of the Jewish people, the inception of the Jewish people. Uh, Shavuot reaping is not just the harvest, but in a sense, giving the Torah of Mount Sinai was bearing the fruits of uh, becoming a people. And Sukkot represents the 40 years wandering in the desert when the Jewish people consolidated the Torah and learned to live it uh, in the desert and live it in the divine presence. So, um, uh, and Maimonides says that the Jewish people were in the desert for 40 years. In the Torah, it says they were there as a punishment. But Maimonides says we were in the desert for 40 years also in order to be able to study Torah, in order to be able to assimilate uh, a life with God. So Sukkot represents that. Um, and there is the agricultural cycle. Those three holidays, there's a separate special mitzvah to go to Jerusalem and to rejoice for all of the holidays. But particularly for Sukkot is when the Torah tells us to rejoice. We'll get back to that in a second. So Sukkot is part of the three agricultural holidays, but it's part of a different cycle because it occurs five days after Yom Kippur. And you can ask, is that a coincidence? Is it just that the third of the agricultural holidays tends, happens to be piggybacking right after the culmination of the high holiday experience, the month of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, the ten days, ten, 10 days of repentance, and Yom Kippur. And we're told that, no, it's not, um, it's not a coincidence. And the relationship is, that after we finished our high holidays, and after we did all the spiritual work, and after we experienced um, going through the process of tshuva, personal growth, and figuring out our mistakes, and learning to improve on them, and connecting to the Almighty, and being aware of God's kingship, and God's presence in the world, that now afterwards, we have a period where we're supposed to, once again, kind of integrate that into ourselves like the Jewish people did in the desert. We're supposed to take that and simply to be with all the spiritual achievements we have accomplished. And so if Yom Kippur is serving God by withdrawing, pulling out from the world, then Sukkot is serving God by engaging in the physical world. We're supposed to eat and drink and dance and have music and have joy. So it's taking that spiritual work we've done and bringing it back into our lives in a way which is kind of integrating into the physical and into the world. And um, so there's a very kind of uh, tangible dimension to the holiday. 
At the same time, we can say that the joy, what is, jo- what, what is the v- Jewish view of joy? So, I heard this from Rabbi Yitzchak Kersner. He said that joy comes from shlemut, from being whole, from being complete. And being complete comes, is really what is shalom. Shalom is shlemut, is completeness. So if we have achieved some type of spiritual wholeness on the high holidays, now we can express the joy over that state on the holiday of Sukkot. So that's one dimension of it. Sukkot as the culmination of the high holidays. And next week we'll talk about Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day, and Simchat Torah as the culmination of Sukkot, but for next week. So, um, so that's one dimension of it. The other dimension is that if you think about it, there are only two mitzvot that completely surround us. One is sukkah, and the other one is mikvah, immersing in the waters. And we're going to see that water is a big theme on the sukkot holiday as well. So walking into a sukkah is supposed to remind us of the clouds of glory, which is the divine presence. So really what we're doing is we're enveloping ourselves in the divine presence by being in the sukkah. And so it's said that when we're in the sukkah, we should have a heightened awareness. We should have a certain respect. We should, our, even our, our conversation should be geared towards meaningful things and shouldn't be too, uh, too casual. Or, um, and uh, you know, there's also, you're not supposed to bring the pots into the sukkah. You're supposed to have nice serving dishes like you would have in your home. So there's a certain sanctity, kiddushah, and reverence that we have in the sukkah. And that's because we feel we're in divine presence. It's a very beautiful custom from the Zohar, from the Kabbalah, that each night of the seven nights of Sukkot, we welcome in one of the seven shepherds, the seven biblical figures, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moshe, Aaron, Joseph, and David. And... Um, the Hasidic story is that uh, there's Hasid who went to his Rebbe for Sukkot. They're sitting in the sukkah, and the guest is sitting next to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe starts moving over, and the guest moves over. And then he moves over again, and the guest moves over again. There's a pretty long table. By the time they're done, they're sitting crouched in at the end of the table. And so the guest found it strange, but, you know, okay. So afterwards, he asked the Rebbe, he said, you know, why did we move over to the end of the table? And he said, well, I invited in the Ushbizim, the holy guests, uh, and I had to make room for them. So that's the story. So the spiritual nature of the sukkah is viewed uh, mystically in, in certain ways. Now, we talked about the theme of water. So theme of water is that, first of all, we start praying for rain on Sukkot. And it's the beginning of the raiding season in Israel. I remember very, and it's very dramatic in Israel, because I remember distinctly when I was in school, in Yeshiva, in Jerusalem, and I remember taking a nap Sukkot afternoon in the, in the Sukkah, and I felt the first drops of rain. Why was that so special? Because in Israel it hasn't rained for six months. So when the first drops come, it's really something amazing. For the farmers, of course, it's critical because they already have now started to plant their next year's crop. 
So the rains are vital. So there is the rain and uh, the prayer for rain. There's also the willows which are brought and in the temple there was a separate mitzvah of bringing willows and walking around the altar with them every day. And we actually have our custom of walking around the synagogue with our four species from that mitzvah of the willows. Willows grow where there's an abundance of water. So in a sense, it's a symbol of asking God for an abundance of water. And the other water theme is that there was a special water offering brought on Sukkot in the temple. And they, all year they would pour wine on the altar. On Sukkot, they would pour water onto the altar. And this was a moment of great joy. Water represents bringing up the spiritual depths, the waters of creation, Tashlich, we go to water. It represents uh, purification, like a mikvah. And so there was a special celebration for the drawing of the water. It's called Simchat Beit Hashueva, the joy of the drawing of the water. And the Talmud describes it every night in the temple. They would have this enormous party with the Levites playing music. And the greatest rabbis would come out and dance and do tricks, juggling fire. Uh, and it wasn't just to impress or to go crazy. It was an expression of the joy before the Almighty at the culmination of the holidays. And remember, everyone, there was this also a separate mitzvah, to go to Jerusalem. So it was an incredible time, an incredible experience. Unfortunately, once again, Corona times, our ability to have these kind of gatherings and parties is a little muted. So we have to make uh, even more effort in whatever ways we can to bring in that joy. So the theme of water is there as well. And, um, and another note is that on each of the holidays we read uh, Megillah, one of the special books of the Torah. Which book do we read on Sukkot? We read the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a very strange book. The Talmud says that the rabbis almost voted to take it out of the Hebrew uh, canon, to take it out of the Tanakh, of the Torah, to remove it, because in certain ways um, it shows us the futility of the material world. Haval havalim hakol haval, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And uh, it begins, I'm Kohelet, Kohelet means the ones who gathered everything, King Solomon writes, and uh, it is the original Siddhartha. If you ever read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, it's the story of a man who pursues all of the different life experiences. He becomes very wealthy, and then he realizes that's futile. Then he seeks, uh, then he becomes hedonistic, and he realizes that that pleasure only goes so far. Then he becomes very wise, and he realizes, why am I just accumulating information? Then he travels, so he does all these things, and then in the end, he realizes, why do we run around in the world? Why do we run around the way we do? What are we running after? Now, in the Siddhartha Eastern version, the person just uh, settles by a river and lives the rest of his life there 
and learns to just be instead of do and watches the river flow past him. Um, very, um, uh, someone's saying that's very relevant now. Yes, the ability to just be in Corona times is very important. And Sukkot, as opposed to the high holidays where we're looking at the next year and the past year, Sukkot, we can just be in the moment. But the end of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says, and this is why it was kept in the Torah, he says, in the end of all matters, uh, after everything has been heard, really what is the of life? the essence of life is to have reverence for the Almighty. In other words, he comes back to God. He said that's really the ultimate meaning and purpose in life, to serve the Almighty in a way Judaism views that we can improve the world as part of our service of the Almighty, but really it comes back to God. And so that's why they left the book in. And, um, but why do we read it on the Sukkot holiday? So remember we said the farmers have brought in all their crops. They're counting all their bounty. They've got all of their uh, storehouses set aside for the winter. They have extra to share and to enjoy and to, and to have parties. And it's the time where you're kind of like doing your annual review and you're getting your annual bonus at the end of the year. And you're focused, oh, what can I buy next? So Sukkot has a very powerful message, which is to put the material world into perspective. In other words, when we move out of our house, when we move into Sukkot, we see, I can do with so much less. And I think that my portfolio and my job and my home, that's what's giving me my security. But Sukkot is telling us no. It's really this flimsy roof, the Almighty, who gives us our security. And uh, my grandparents were chased uh, out of Austria in their middle of their lives, lost everything, their home, their business, had to relocate, start up again. And really, I always uh, learned that message from them is that the things that really count are not the things you have around you, but who you are and your loved ones. And so that's a very powerful message of Sukkot. And, um, and it's also the message of nature. When we go back to nature, we realize that life is really very simple. And you can watch a sunset or a sunrise, find a stream or a, or a lake, and what more do you need? That's so much more beautiful and meaningful than all of the Disney worlds and all of the cruises and all of the uh, razzle-dazzle. So that's what it's telling us. It's telling us to get back to basics, to the basic joy, to the simplicities of life, to being with the Almighty. And the Haftarah, the prophets that we read, is about the nation of Gog Umagog, uh, the final conflagration, the nations that will come from the north. What does Gog mean? Gog means Gag, is the roof. It represents the materialists, those who are saying, no, everything is really about the physical world. And they make war on Israel because we are saying, no, really it's about the spiritual. And so we flip it around and we say that all these things that we run after in our lives, Ecclesiastes says, put them in perspective on Sukkot, particularly at the moment of your ingathering of your wealth, when you're consolidating your assets and seeing what I can do with them. So, these are the messages of Sukkot, to leave our house, to go into nature,
to have the joy of having done the spiritual work over the high holidays, to appreciate the beauty and the detail of nature and the four species that we take, to have an awareness of the Almighty all around us, waving the lulav and etrog in all directions, having the sukkah encompass us, being in the divine clouds, which is protecting us. And through that, we will have a truly joyful culmination to our high holidays. Have a good evening, everyone.